And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Let's get ready to Bible! Here's Pastor Jeff. generally a fan of trying to set the bar really low. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we jump into the message this morning, uh, I want us to pray together as, as a church for a couple of things that are just kind of relevant to our church family here. And, uh, you know, last week we took a little bit of time and we prayed for, uh, for Riley Wilson and for uh, their family. Uh, their they, they were, they are in Colorado going to uh, have some uh, procedures done. So uh, Riley needed to go a, um, a form of brain surgery that was diagnostic in nature to try to figure out what could be causing some seizures that he experiences. And so that surgery happened on Friday. And uh, by all accounts, we've been in contact with uh, April and Scott a bit. And sounds like everything went according to plan and successful for all of that. And so now what they need to happen is they need the diagnostic part of that to show some results so that they can kind of identify exactly what is going on, which will then help the doctors there to determine kind of a course of treatment uh, for Riley. And so uh, I want us to take a moment and just kind of pray that uh, for their family and for Riley and for that process that it will all happen um, quickly and that it will all happen right, you know, that everything that needs to happen will happen uh, we also want to pray uh, for uh, Daniel and Kelly's daughter, uh, Bridget, Bridget Newman. And uh, she's been in the hospital this weekend, I think, since late in the week and, and this weekend. And um, she's just recently kind of started walking, not for very long ago. And as I understand it, she experienced kind of a, a regression in her walking and something that seemed to maybe not be right in a leg. And so after a little while and consulting with some doctors, they decided to take her to the hospital and um, just to kind of get that checked out. And uh, so they admitted her into the hospital and are kind of run a you know, bunch of different tests. And, and so the next step for, for Bridget is that they want to do an MRI to kind of get a, take a closer look. And uh, they're hoping that that can happen today, but it might have to wait till tomorrow. With a young child, they need to be able to do a little bit of sedation in order to keep her from moving around a lot. And so, um, but uh, they have a lighter staff here during the weekend at the hospital. And so uh, they're not sure if they're going to be able to get that done today or, or not. Um, but the point is this, is that, uh, you know, we... We want that MRI to happen soon, today, ideally, so that they can get some answers. If you've ever had, a, if you've ever, as a parent, had a child that was seeming to be unwell and not knowing why, like that's a, that's a, like it's kind of a nerve-wracking, anxious place to be in, right? And, uh, and, and in addition to that, as Christians, we believe in a God who heals, amen? And so we just, we really want to take a moment and just pray really for these two families and just ask, uh, one, 
for God's healing power to be at work in Riley's body and in Bridget's body, that there would just be a miraculous healing that would take place for them. Also, that the tests that they need would come together, that the tests that they need would work, that the doctors would have wisdom in discerning what's happening and in discerning the course of treatment um, should, um, should their healing be through those natural means. Amen? And so can we just take a moment, church? Can we just lift our faith to the Lord? Maybe lift your hands to God. And let's just take a moment and pray for these two families right now. So Father, we just thank you, even after spending some time today worshiping you for your goodness and for your greatness. Lord, now we turn our faith to you and we lift to you, Lord, these two precious families uh, in our church. And in particular, we pray for Riley and we pray for Bridget right now. And we ask, Holy Spirit, for a, an outpouring of your supernatural healing power over their lives, over their bodies. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do a miracle within them them to release healing, health, and wholeness to their bodies in the name of Jesus. Uh, we pray uh, that the tests that Riley is, the diagnostic test that he's going through, that they would quickly produce the right kinds of results. We pray for Bridget that the MRI that they're waiting for would happen today, that it would happen quickly, and that it would give the doctors real information that they can act upon. And we just pray for uh, all of the doctors and the people providing care that they would have wisdom and skill in, um, in handling and in helping uh, both Riley and, and Bridget and Father we pray finally for peace and for grace to abound to their families Father that they would sense in very real ways that your presence is with them in this very moment. We trust you and we give you praise for your goodness and your greatness in our lives and we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I want to encourage you to just continue to lift these families and these situations to the Lord and just pray for God's goodness and his will to abound with these uh, our precious kids. Amen. Um, okay, so uh, last week we started this journey of talking about uh, how we as a church are going to be moving forward together uh, in this new season or this new chapter of our lives. And so we're just going to continue to talk about and share with you our sense of vision and mission, uh, our sense of the vision and the mission to which God is calling us. Now this focuses our attention on who is God calling us to be and what is God calling us to do and how are we going to pursue and be faithful to the calling of God upon our church. That's really the questions that we're going to be talking about and focusing our attention on and going to be answering over the next little while. You know, Romans chapter 11 verse 29 tells us that God, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So I want you to see today that God's mission for City Church, that his calling on our church family here, that it has, it has always been there. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel for you in the next, you know, handful of months here. The grand narrative of what God 
has begun and continues to do in City Church has always been the story of what God is doing in Albuquerque and what God is wanting to do in our church here. But like every grand narrative, like every story, we move from moment to moment, we move from chapter to chapter, one chapter ends and a new chapter begins. And we know that as a church that we are, uh, we are in the beginning of a new chapter in the life and in the mission of our city church family and so this moment calls for a renewal of our vision and a fresh revelation of the mission that God is calling us into God is the author who writes our story from the first chapter to the last the scripture calls him the author and the finisher of our faith so What we are aiming to do here is, one, discern and articulate what is the chapter that God is opening up before us, and secondly, as a church, to uh, affirm that our commitment here in this moment, in this season, in this chapter, is that we will say yes to God. That as we talk about and as we reflect on what does God have for us as a church, may our hearts cry. May the thing that wells up with inside of us is to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. We say yes to you. Do what you want to do. Raise us up to be who you are calling us to be. Send us out to go where you are calling us to go. Our response to the revelation of your will is simply to say yes. Are you with me? So today I want to share with you a little bit about how we intend to go about building City Church as we move forward into the next chapter. So, we're going to talk first a little bit here about how we build. So you see this slide up here. And uh, this is, you're going to see this, this image in various forms, um, repeated in many different ways over the next uh, couple of months here. And uh, this is kind of the big picture of how we intend to build City Church as we move forward together. And so you'll see at the top when we talk about, uh, you know, strategy and we talk about vision and we talk about, uh, well, we talk about strategy, which is really how we implement our vision and mission. And so our strategy, what we are going to do is founded upon or it flows out of our sense of vision and mission, which is built upon our values. So if our vision and mission describes what is God calling us to do, our values describe for us what is God calling us to be as a church community, as a church family. And so our strategy is built upon our mission and vision. Our mission and vision is built upon our values or our sense of who God is calling us to be. And all of these, our strategy, our mission, our vision, our values, they are built on a foundation that consists of our theology and doctrine, which is rooted in the scriptures, which all point to Jesus. All of these things are built on a foundation consisting of our theology and doctrine, which is rooted in the scriptures, which all point to Jesus. Why is this important? Because this is what we're going to focus on uh, this morning. 
So here, here's the deal is, I know that when we get into this kind of series and we say, okay, church, right, it's a new season, it's a new day, it's a new chapter, it's a new moment, God is doing new things, we're going to take some time, we're going to share with you all about the vision and the mission that God is putting on our heart for City Church, and so I suspect that there are some of us, maybe even here this morning, that are sitting in our seats and we're saying, okay, preacher boy, lay it on me. What's it going to be? Where, where are we going? What's our destiny? How are we going to get there? What's the strategy going to be? What is it that we're going to be doing? What are we going to be engaged in? Give it to me. Tell me what it's going to be. Listen, I, I think these are really important conversations, but it's most important to me in this moment, in what we're sharing today, I want you to understand that however we answer the questions surrounding where is God leading and how are we going to get there that these are anchored to a set of theological convictions that point us to the person of Jesus Christ so that we are sure of who we are called to be as a church family that there's a revelation of God's ultimate plan and purpose in the world in the Big C Church and in this church community. That God has revealed himself to us in very real and knowable ways. And that when we start talking about questions like who is God calling us to be? What kind of culture are we wanting to create here? Where is God leading and how are we going to get there? Those things better be anchored to something that is stable and which is solid. And so we want to talk today about the foundation that we are committed to building upon as we move forward together as a church. So, we build on the firm foundation of Jesus. So we build our church. We build City Church on the foundation, the firm foundation of Jesus. Foundations are important, right? We get that. Foundations are important. Foundations determine... Not only the size of a building, but it also determines the strength of a structure, right? And so oftentimes, when we talk about foundations and we talk about things like this, we can start to think about how God wants to increase our church. God wants to bring new people in. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people come to experience the life-changing presence of Jesus for themselves. We want to see people added to our church and we want to be sending people and we can be filled with dreams and visions for how big God may want to build our church. I want to tell you today that I'm more concerned, not unconcerned, please hear me. I'm believing God that this place is going to be filled to overflowing. But I'm most concerned not just about how big, does God, how big a church does God want to build, but how strong a church does God want to build. Because there will always be seasons of opposition. There will always be seasons of testing. There will always be seasons where the integrity, the structural integrity of what is built will be tested. We want to know that what we have built here lasts the moments of testing. Passes the tests that will come. Can you think of an example 
of a world-famous building that has a faulty foundation? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's an interesting image to see the straight side, right, of a building and how it, uh, and then the, the tower behind it and how it leans. You know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it started to fail before it was even fully built. Like, they, it was kind of weird. They knew that it had a problem. As they started to build up, it started to actually lean fairly quickly, but they continued to build it anyway. And uh, it started out with like a 3 or a 4% lean. And then over the years, it just continued to have the one side sink further and further into the ground until I think at one point it was like a 5 or 6 degree lean. And they ended up having to close it for a very long time in terms of public access because uh, it was dangerous. And they were really concerned that it was actually going to fall over. I saw one picture of this tower where on the side that's kind of leaning up, they had placed like a couple hundred of like these huge like lead weights just as a way of trying to counterbalance, uh, you know, what was, what was happening. And then a number of years ago, they excavated underneath the, uh, the, the, uh, the tower in order to place underneath further weight, counterweight, weight, stability, etc. And they were able to actually bring it back to about, I think it's about a 3% lean that it's at right now. And engineers and the people that did all this believe that it's probably stable, that it won't move. In fact, this is the first time in this tower's history that it actually isn't moving, right? That it's stayed where it is and engineers project that it probably has a couple hundred years before you know it you know potentially they got to relook at kind of where it's uh where it's at right and so that's our leaning tower of pisa i actually have another picture of the leaning tower of pisa here so this is my father-in-law and my friend jake and myself literally holding it up and keeping it from falling we were there uh, last, I think that was last May, that uh, we, were, uh, we were there, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful sight to behold. But the Leaning Tower of Pisa is this world-famous reminder that foundations are really, really important, right? Let's take a look at a scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verses 10 to 17. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, by the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the, <clears throat> excuse me, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, then the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved even though, um, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. We're not even going to get into this today, but that's a really good warning to sit in 
for a moment. We have a hard time with the idea in the New Testament that God could exercise his wrath against someone. And yet the scripture seems to say that if anyone destroys God's temple, that God's, God will destroy that person. Why? Because God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And you together are that temple. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians here that, uh, that no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is to say that Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Then he goes on to give this example of using different types of materials, and he includes in there gold, silver, and costly stones, which actually is very relevant when we read down there, because the point that Paul is actually getting to is saying, is saying to the church community in Corinth that what he's saying to them is, what you are is not any is not like any other kind of community or gathering or club or society that may exist in your city but in fact you are something something very different here's what he says he says you are the temple you are god's temple now i love that in this niv it says you together because in the English language, the word you can be both plural or it can be like first person, sing or it can be singular, or it can be plural. But sometimes it can be difficult for us to recognize the difference because it's the same word. And there are times when I might say you and be referring to a particular one of you or I may say you, and I could be referring to all of you. And so sometimes, when we're reading in the New Testament, the scripture will use the word you, and we think that that letter is referring to me personally, when in fact, it's referring to the whole congregation or the whole church that is receiving or hearing that letter. And so Paul is saying, you all, y'all, Right? They need to come up with the New Texas version of, of the scriptures. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, y'all, you all together, a gathered community, united by your shared allegiance to Jesus and commitment to one another and commitment to the mission of Christ, you all are God's temple. And so when, so this is why Paul is saying, you need to be careful how you build. And you need to be careful what materials you are building with. Because when we look at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, when God would come along and say, time to build a tabernacle, time to build a temple, the Lord provided very detailed instructions about how they were to build and what they were to build with. Now, in the New Testament, the temple is no longer a physical structure, but there is still a temple. And it's right here. It's in this place. It's in this moment. It is 
the community of saints within any given locality who are gathered together in a spirit of unity because they share that allegiance to Christ, commitment to one another, and commitment to the mission of Jesus. And so the temple, which in the Old Testament was not just a place of worship, it was a place of worship, but it was a place of worship because God was there. And in the imagination of the Israelites, the temple was the place where God would come and his throne was in that temple. It was the place where heaven and earth overlapped. One day we're going to talk about this more, but I promise you, when this grips your heart, it will change your life. That the temple was the place where heaven and earth overlapped, was the throne room from which God exercised his rule and his reign over the entire cosmos. And now Paul writes a letter to this messed up congregation in the city of Corinth, and he says, you together are the temple of God. Saying, city church, you are one of the places in the city of Albuquerque that when you gather together to worship in that spirit of unity, you literally, this place becomes the place where heaven and earth overlaps within our city, where God's throne is set up. And from this place, he rules and he reigns and exercises his authority and his dominion over everything. So it's not, well, what about the, what about, what kind of programs are we talking about here? What, 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 are, what, what, kind of, what kind of what kind of band do we have? What kind of technology are we using? I noticed you don't have a smoke machine around here. <laughs> what we're trying to build here is not just another club, not just another social experiment, not just another community group or a community gathering. Not that those things are, that there's anything wrong with those things, but God is calling us to something that is higher. God is calling us to something that is of greater significance. What God is doing is he is in the business of establishing temples. Places for his presence to fall and for his reign and his rule from which his reign and rule will be exercised. That's what he's calling us to be. That's what he's calling us to build from. And so in the same way that the Lord shows up to the nation of Israel, to Moses, to Solomon, to David, and, and he says, um, here's the blueprints it needs to be done in this way and it needs to be done in, with this material and be careful to do it exactly like I show you. So the Lord says to us, be careful how you build. And we start simply with the foundation, that we build on the foundation which is Christ. And so Jesus is our firm foundation. I want you to know that we are a Jesus-centered church and we always will be. The kingdom of God, which is the message that Jesus preached, will always be at the center of our preaching here. We will always be, we have always been, and we will always be a kingdom-focused people. 
This is the message which Jesus preached in his ministry. And this will always be the message that we preach here. Jesus will always be at the center of our discipleship. Our discipleship, our teaching, our instruction will always be aimed at how do we become more like Jesus? And how do we join him in his mission? We are a Jesus-centered church. He is our firm foundation. This is what we build upon. Secondly, I want us to see that the scriptures are our primary source and guide. The scriptures are our primary source and guide. We won't spend a ton of time on this point, but the scriptures are how we know Jesus and his will. So John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. The scriptures point us to Jesus. The scriptures are our source of doctrine, teaching, way of life, and how we relate to each other. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17, Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Who's the servant of God? Every one of us. Right, Every single one of us, we are the servant of God. And the Lord has given us the scriptures so that through them, every one of us can be equipped for every good work to which God has called us. So this isn't, well, I sit there and I say, well, I sure hope the pastor gets equipped for all the good works that he's called to do. No, no, because if we're ever going to be the church that God calls us to be, and if we're ever going to do what God is calling us to do, there are no spectators here. This is every one of us coming together in that spirit of unity, right? And so the scriptures, they are our primary source. Next, I want us to see that our theology and doctrine form the banks of our stream. Our theology and doctrine form the banks of our stream. So, a couple points here. Um, And that is that uh, we are, our church here, we are orthodox in that we affirm the historic creeds of the church, such as the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. You can see the Apostles' Creed here behind me. I won't read it all here, um, uh, you know, for us. But to say that these creeds, they are very, very early in their formation that they define for us today the the essential elements of what it means to be a christian i actually encourage you to familiarize yourself with what it says i'd actually encourage you to familiarize yourself with what it doesn't say it's not there so i think we do have the uh the apostles creed coming up at some point here but um The Apostles' Creed, it gives us a description of the essentials of the Christian faith. And and so it helps us to see what is essential, and it helps us to see what is not, right? We we are united around the essentials. But we don't don't allow non-essentials to be a source of division, right? There's a phrase that I really truly believe in, and it says that in essentials unity, in non-essentials diversity, no, freedom. That's right. Liberty. Sorry. There's a, there's a saying that I say all the time. I can't remember right now. You see how important it is to me. 
In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I really believe that. The Apostles' Creed forms for us a set of essentials that we, that we believe in and that we affirm as a church. Uh, I will just note, in case it's a question for anyone, that in the Apostles' Creed, when it talks about the Catholic Church, it's not the big C Roman Catholic Church, that it is the universal global church, global community of those who call upon Jesus. But we affirm those, uh, those creeds. We affirm these essentials. And we don't intend to ever allow ourselves to move off of them. In addition to what we affirm in the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, we are a charismatic church. This means that we believe that the Holy Spirit is working in the world, including in, among, and through the church, and including supernatural and miraculous ways. That He moves in that way today. We believe that all of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit, as described in the Scriptures, are available to us today. And so we want to be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit as He desires. And so we want to be a church that desires the presence and the moving of the Holy Spirit, and we want to make room for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives and in our midst. We're a charismatic church. Now, sometimes that can be a bit scary for people. I will tell you this. Sometimes it scares me too. I will say, if you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit and sensitive to Him, listen, there's going to be moments that make you feel a little uncomfortable. Also, Two things can be true at the same time. Also, being led by the Holy Spirit and being a charismatic church also doesn't mean that we are going to be weird or allow things to be out of order, right? And so the two things can be true. We can embrace the leading of the Holy Spirit even though sometimes it may be a little bit uncomfortable for us. It stretches us and maybe... The point is this. If we want the Holy Spirit to come and have his way, we have to recognize that he won't always fit in the box that we've prepared for him. And yet, that doesn't equal that we're going to be wild and weird and the kind of church where when people walk in, they're like, what is going on here? Right? Does that make sense? Two things can be true at the same time. But we are a charismatic church, and we are unapologetically so. Secondly, we are a new covenant church. Now the wording here is a little bit, um, I don't love the wording of this, but honestly I couldn't think of anything that was um, better and uh, more pedestrian or uh, accessible. And, but th this is simply to say, when I talk about uh, that we are a new covenant church, it is to say that we embrace covenant theology, or which is to say that we believe that the church is the new covenant people of God, made up of Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, young and old, that God does not have two peoples, and that the church is not plan B for God. But that the church exists that the new covenant is the continuation of God's covenant with Abraham. Simply to say that I will make your people, your family, you will be a family, a community that 
whose numbers are as innumerable as the stars in the sky or the sand that is along the shore. And through you, I will make you to be a blessing to all the world, to all the nations, to all of the people. And so when we say that we are a new covenant people, it is to say that we believe that, that the church is the new covenant people which stands in continuation with God's covenant with Abraham. That God made a promise to Abraham all those years ago. And that today he is fulfilling that promise. He has fulfilled it through Christ and continues to fulfill it through the church. Does that make sense? And so these theological convictions, they form the banks of our stream. What does that mean? It means that how we decide to do things like worship on Sunday or how we do discipleship, which speaks to how we do small groups or how we do evangelism or how we engage with the issues of our day. It means we have options. Different churches can do it in different ways. But it also means we don't have all the options. Does that make sense? It means that how we go about doing things has to be rooted in these theological convictions. So we have a certain way that we do worship here at our church. And we have a vision to continue to build that and continue to grow that and continue to nurture worship here at City Church. Now listen, there are lots of churches that do worship the way that we do it. And some churches do it because it's a style. And some churches do it because it's a theological conviction. We do it because it's a theological conviction. We believe as a matter of theological conviction that when we worship, that we are entering into the presence of God. That it is our worship that brings us into the place of encountering and experiencing God's presence. And that the church ought to be a place where God's presence is moving in our midst. And so that's why I say frequently to our leaders and to our staff, when it comes to Sunday morning, like our aim is to lead people into an encounter with God. That's not a style for me. I want you to know that. That's a theological conviction that says when I read the scriptures, when I read the New Testament, it tells me that that is what God is wanting to do when his people gather for worship. And so we aim to do that. When we talk about evangelism and how we frame and share the gospel and how we engage with the issues of our day, it means that we're going to allow our theological convictions to be the anchor that helps us and guides us. I have a personal philosophy when it comes to this. And it is simply this. Contextualize without compromise. Which simply means this. I think it is good for the church to figure out as best as it can. How do we apply the gospel into the context of our modern place and our modern day. But we do it without compromising our theological convictions. Now sometimes this can be a bit of a tight rope to walk. But listen, church, we must dare to walk it. Because it could be really easy to fall to a side that doesn't feel the need to contextualize the gospel at all. 
in which case we then just become that group that meets on Louisiana and we're kind of walled off from the rest of the culture because we're not speaking to the things that are front and center in people's hearts and minds. But we don't want to commit the equally bad mistake of, of, of trying, being so committed to making the gospel and the good news palatable to our current place and our current day that it loses its veracity, that it loses its truth, that it loses its substance. So for me, I articulate my own philosophy by simply saying, we seek to contextualize the scriptures and contextualize the gospel without compromising its truth, without compromising on our theological convictions. We will try to be all uh, all things to all men as long as doing so does not require us to forsake our theological convictions and so that's what we mean when we say that our theology and our doctrine it forms the banks of our stream it helps us identify what are the ways in which we can engage with our world and what are the limits to how we can apply and contextualize the scriptures and the gospel. Does that make sense? So our theology and our doctrine form the banks of our, of our stream. I want you to see today that as we continue to talk about what God is calling us to be, who God is calling us to be, and where God is leading us, and how we're going to get there, I want you to see how important it is that all of this is rooted in a set of thought, theological convictions, beginning with the very reality that we are a Jesus-centered church, that we always have been, and that we always will be. Secondly, that we believe that the scriptures are God's word to us, and the revelation of who Jesus is, and how we understand what God is like, and what his will is, and we will always honor and value the scriptures in this church. And thirdly, that we will root all of our sense of value, and of vision, and of mission, and strategy to our theological convictions that's our commitment to you not just as your pastors but as our as a as a team of leaders here this Wednesday we were talking amongst our staff in our conference room and we were saying a lot of what happens at the table in our conference room is talking about mission and strategy and we were just talking about our commitment here at City Church to ensure that all of that is always anchored to our theological convictions why are we doing things the way that we do it? Because we believe that God has revealed in His Word who He is, who we are in Him, and what His will is. And we are called to be faithful to that. We need to be that kind of church. And now hear me. The world is desperate for this kind of church. Jesus is building his church and I want you to see today that everyone is invited to join. Jesus is building his church. So we talk about building and how are we going to build and it's a bit of a metaphor but let's be clear on something here. Jeff and Marisa aren't building the church. Our staff team is not building the church. Our elders are not building the church. Our board is not building the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. 
And the gates of Hades will not prevail, meaning what Jesus builds is strong enough to withstand every test, every opposition, every attack. Jesus is building his church and everyone is invited to join. So, here's what I would encourage you with today. Make sure Jesus is the center of your life. Take a moment and ask yourself, is Jesus really the center of my life and of my faith? You know, uh, we've all seen different ways of like how we can prioritize our lives and we all have this list and if we're Christian, then we all know that that list ought to be God's on top and then my marriage is on, if, if I'm married, my marriage is second, my family is second or third, my kids are second or third or fourth, however that fits in there and then we kind of can move on to some other things but we have this list, to be honest with you, I really hate that list. But you know what I really love? Asking the question, how do I place Jesus at the center of everything that I am? How do I place him at the center? So we want Jesus to be the center of our church. We're committed to that. And so I encourage you to ask yourself, is Jesus the center of my life? Secondly, Value the scriptures as God's word that points us to Jesus. If you are not in the habit of having a steady diet of reading the scriptures, there's no better time to start than January. There's no better time to start. Now you might say, well, where, where, do, where do I start? It doesn't matter. If you really want me to answer the question, here's what I tell people. If you don't know where to start, start in the book of John. Read the Gospel of John, then read the next book. It's the, uh, it's the book of Acts, which tells the story of the first Christians and the Christian movement and how it spread through the, uh, through the Roman Empire. And then you can move on to Romans and the letters of Paul, which give instructions to the churches that they were planting and starting in different places throughout the then known world. And so if you want to know where I think you should start, I would say start in the Gospel of John. But here's the deal. It really doesn't matter. Just start somewhere. Well, how much should I read? It doesn't matter. Just read some of it. One chapter a day. One chapter a day, five minutes. Just start reading your Bible. If you don't understand anything about what this book is, this isn't, I should have put this on our slides, but if you want to know more about what this book is, the Bible Project, go on to Google and search Bible Project, they have a fantastic series of videos that is all centered around the question of what is this book? What is the Bible? What is it? How was it? Did it come into being? What is it like? Uh, there's a book recommendation I would make to you. The author's name is Michael Bird, B-I-R-D, wrote a book called Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible that is an excellent primer on what this book is and how it was put together and how it works. And so if that's something that interests you, I would encourage you to consider those things. But we want to be a people that values the scriptures as God's word. Anchor your views on our day in theological convictions, not the shifting sands of popular opinion and modern trends. Anchor your views on the issues of our day in theological convictions, not the shifting sands of popular opinion and modern trends. Listen, the church is the world is desperate for a church that rightly shows and shares the good news. So don't be a spectator. Join the movement 
as we move forward together. One final thought. One final thought. You can never, you can find any one of us, and by us, I don't just mean those of us here in the room. Any one of us in the world can find a good cause, but you will never find the calling for which you were created by doing things your own way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen, we talk about a firm foundation here, and that, I think, makes it really appropriate for us to acknowledge that we live in a world and we live in a day where everything seems to be unstable. You think about, especially when I think about this, I think of young people living today and looking at the world and realizing how unstable our world is. And then how many of us, when we come out of the world and we go into our homes, are faced with a home and a family that is characterized by instability. And it feels so insecure and it feels so unsafe that even our homes are shaken and don't provide us with stability. And now young people are facing beyond a world that is unstable and often a home life that is unstable. Young people are also now facing a world that questions even their very identity, the core of who they are and how they perceive themselves and understand themselves. And all of a sudden now, the world is unstable and my family is unstable and even my soul is an unstable place. And so many people today, especially young people, are looking around for where can I go to find something, someone, somewhere that is safe and that is stable. The scripture says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower that those who run to it are safe. The world needs a church that is built upon the strong foundation of Jesus because the world needs to see Christians who have found that the safest and most stable place to be is in Christ. The world is going to continue to be a scary place. And although we hope that family stability will grow, it's going to be a journey. And people, especially the youngest of us, are gonna continue to face the lies that cause them to question their very sense of self and how they perceive themselves. And so many young people today and people all around us are looking simply for a place where they can feel stable, where they can feel that the ground beneath them is solid and is firm. In Albuquerque, that needs to be here. Where you live, where you work, where you play, among those people that God has called you to, that solid foundation for them needs to be you. That when they're around you, there's something about your life that makes them feel safe and stable and secure. What is that? simply this, Jesus 
is the foundation that I've built my life on. He's the one I live, I live with my life built on Him. Are you with me? I know I've gone a couple minutes late today. I apologize. Um, can we pray just in closing today? Let's just fix our attention on God today. So listen, if you're here worshiping with us today, joining us for our service today, and you would resonate with what I've shared today, meaning simply that you would say, I really feel in my own life that lack of stability, that lack of security, that lack of safety. I feel like the ground that is underneath me is like that sand that is shifting and that is moving and that is unstable, whatever the thing is. I pray today that you will see that Jesus Christ is the firm foundation and that he is inviting you to uh, experience for yourself that he is the rock upon which you can build your life and that your life will be strong and that your life will be able to withstand the tests and the difficulties and that you will see that, what, that how, wherever you may look and wherever you may search, that in Christ you will find a calling that you can get nowhere else, but it's what you were created for. And so if, you're, if that's you today, we would love to take a moment and just pray with you. Maybe you have never, uh, maybe you have never been a Christian before. You've never received Jesus into your life as your Savior and as your Lord. Or maybe you've known Him in the past, but you've kind of wandered off and you've, uh, yeah, wandered off and gotten off track and been taken away from the Lord. Today would be a great day for you to return home to the Father. And so, if that's you today, and you either would like to take your first step of knowing Jesus and of placing your life upon Him as your firm foundation, or if you've been away and today you want to come home, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave and bold. And that is that if you would just put your hand up to identify that that's you today, and we can pray together. We had two people last week that prayed this prayer. a moment all right church would you just repeat after me we're going to pray a prayer together all of us are going to join in and so um let's uh let's do this right now and let's just pray together so dear lord jesus we come to you today and we thank you for your presence in this place and today i present myself before you i believe in you jesus I believe that you lived, I believe that you died, I believe that you rose from the dead, and I believe that you did it for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my life? Would you be my Lord and be my Savior? I want to know you, and I want to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.
uh, listen, we're just going to dismiss in just a moment here. If you prayed that prayer here with us today and it was the first time that you've prayed it or it was a rededication, would you do me the huge honor of when we dismiss, just come on, come on up here and introduce yourself to me. We would love to meet you. If we can pray for you in any way, shape, or form here today, church, our prayer team is at, the, uh, at both sides of our platform and so we would love to just agree with you together and pray with you together uh, today. Church, would you stand with me? Again, I apologize for being a little bit late, especially if you're a football person. Church, we love you. Great days are ahead for us. God bless you as you're leaving. Turn around, find a face that you've never met before. Say hello to someone today and have a great day and we hope to see you next week. God bless you. There was a time I was dead inside You called my name and I tried to hide My heart was dark and so full of shame For 